0: gentlemen and welcome to this week's edition of american billiard radio my name is mr bond and i'll be your host again for this evening it's january 9th 2014 and for the vast majority of us out there it is cold holy moly uh we got down to about negative 15 here uh it's the coldest snap we've had in a a little while uh it makes you want to live in the bahamas that's what i'm saying Um, But other than that, it's a great time of the year. It's pool season people. We got Tar 38 coming up Earl versus Efren is coming up man. That is gonna be epic Derby City's coming up Jay Swanson's coming up We got WPBA gonna be in Phoenix coming up and and there's even bonus ball coming up And there's probably even more that I haven't even mentioned. It's a it's a good thing people um, you don't have to be sad that the mainstream media is uh, it, it, television is not covering these things because uh, we've got it covered so uh, I'll be the first to send a big fat thank you out to all these uh, people and to all these companies that are taking the time and effort uh, to stream these matches uh, because hey we don't have to travel we don't there, even if you wanted to there's no way that you could go to all these events you know and um, here we have them right here literally at our laptop so um, it's a good thing and uh, we should be happy about it Um, you know support your local streamer that's a good way to look at it Um, the last couple of weeks we have been talking about uh, a lot about the industry and a lot about professional pool and uh, and some things that have been going good and some things that have been going not so good and uh, one of the things that uh, keeps popping up in the conversation Is uh, professionalism Uh, whether it be promoters or even companies in the industry Uh, sometimes it's the players sometimes hell it's even the fans that are bad for the business you know Um, but nonetheless uh, when it comes to the to the big guys to the big guns the professional players um, we don't have a real solid Players Association uh, we don't have a real solid um, governing body in the United States right now so uh, there's some things that have gone awry uh, it's um, left the door open uh, to some mismanagement um, to some bad behavior things of that nature and uh, so the question has come up uh, whether or not we should try to uh, to start perhaps enforcing some uh, a little bit stricter rules uh, surrounding professional pool and its events. And before you think I'm attacking the the players necessarily, that's not always the case. Uh, As you know, or as you may or may not know, sometimes it's the promoters uh, that fail to do their job. Sometimes it's uh, um, the players too. Um, But whatever the case professionalism i think is lacking uh in in some cases and so um i went to talk to mr greg sullivan about this and for those of you that don't know uh mr greg sullivan is um, uh, responsible for the derby city classic he also is uh got his hand in a little bit of a business called diamond pool tables. If you are not familiar with diamond billiard products, uh, they are perhaps the top table manufacturer on the planet at this point. Um, and I asked Mr. Sullivan uh, a couple of questions uh, about these things and to get his opinion on it. And, uh, admittedly, he does not, uh, take to the spotlight all that well, understandably so. But, uh, I squeezed him a little bit and uh, to get some answers out of him, And, uh, and and this is what he had to say. Um, We've been having this discussion uh, online and with various pros and with various industry representatives. How do you feel about the importance of uh, conduct or integrity? standards or codes that the players should have to adhere to. Do you think that that's necessary or not, or good idea, bad idea? No, look.
1: Look, dress codes, everything, it goes to different levels. It's what corporate, who's going to pay for this? It's what that person wants. That's true, too. If he wants you to be lily white dressed in a suit, I guess you got to do it. I I don't think the game of pool requires you to be in a tuxedo. And and look, you got to draw the line. Whatever's going to bring the bodies in, say you got me and I'm trying to sell beer, or I'm trying to sell Coca Cola, or I'm I'm a corporate sponsor trying to sell something. I want people to watch it. All right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to want what's going to draw numbers of people to sell my product to, okay? So if you need Earl Strickland, who a lot of people tune in just to watch him go off, (laughs) you know what I mean? You got to keep him in his chair and things like that. I mean, he's high maintenance or whatever. I'm not saying that that's all bad. Right. But people watch for different reasons.
0: Right, right,
1: right. I mean, it's it's kind of Machiavellian. It's kind of like the end justifies the means, you know what right, I mean? Right, <laughs> If you need a little controversy in there to keep the excitement, or these two guys got bad luck, I mean, th- reality, everything plays into that. They play into that on the UFC fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, these two girls didn't get along. What, did you watch that run, Rousey, or whatever?
2: Right,
0: yes.
1: Uh, I mean, look, I, I enjoy that fight, <laughs> you know? Just well, of the
0: hype. yeah, no, that's funny. The they,
1: hype, the hype kind of made it. Without yes, the hype, that would have been no good, exactly. I, would, I wouldn't
0: even watch it. Well, that's funny because that reminds me of being a kid when we would watch the wrestling show, and right before they started the match, they would have the two wrestlers out in the hallway basically wolfing at each other for you know 10 or 15 minutes first, talking about how one was going to kick the other one's ass. It's entertainment, in other
1: words, and, and look, if you're trying to sell your product. You want all the entertainment value because you want all the eyeballs you can get trying to sell your Ouija board <laughs> or whatever you're doing. In other words, something's got to fund this, and it's got to come from a corporate sponsor trying to sell a product.
0: Yeah, probably that's
1: so. It. That's just, the just American way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and unfortunately, and, though, don't you think that somebody who's going to spend that much money doesn't want to be embarrassed, though, either? No,
1: there's a certain line that... Uh, what, what, what audience market you're going after. Yeah. Uh, well, you're be, going to be embarrassed because, uh, Colonel Strickland powers bleep. You know what I mean? They bleep yeah. him out. Right. I mean, that ha- that, that, sometimes the emotion is worth it. You don't have to hear the word. They can bleep it out.
0: Oh, right, right, right. Oh, I know, the, the emotion should be there. That's, that's very key. It's... Well,
1: I mean, you, you got, you got, you know, those guys, that, if they carry it too far, you got to get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, but, but but I don't
0: know. There's a point. I, mean, I think I get the point. Is a that fine there's line, yeah right? There's a fine line. But there is a line, and I think that uh, somebody has to draw it at some point. You know what I mean? It's that's what the rules. And look, they'll
1: seek themselves like just like the pocket size. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was too big. And we made it smaller. And we made it too small. Then we had to go back a little bit. You Adjust it. Right. In other words, and, and the rules will change. <clears throat> And the line that you're talking about, buddy. but look—if you don't never set the specifications, they can't be changed. Right, right.
2: That's... And that's
1: that's what I'm fighting for in pool. I want specifications established. If they turn out to be wrong, we'll adjust them. Right. There wasn't always a, there wasn't always a three the three point shot in basketball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sports is all.
0: Right. This is true. This is very true. Football is the same way. The The goalpost hasn't even been the same for that long. What, uh. And yeah,
1: tennis, the, the, the tennis net. You know what I mean? You know there's a speck on the tennis, how how tight the net is? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes, that there is.
1: is. High. I just. Because sometimes the ball will hit there and it will creep on over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. the... All sports evolve. In other words, and, and pool, pool's going through do that too. You right. need to establish specifications that you have to play, not just with Simonis. You have to play with this cross speed, and not just diamond tables, but whatever table has to give a certain rebound. It has to have a certain pocket opening and angle, because all that matters. Right. I mean, that, that's the way that it, that it should be. Because these other manufacturers out there, they haven't went through what I went through. As far as I'm concerned, the people. Brunswick, they were geniuses. But those guys are dead and gone. Right. You know, I mean, the corporations today, the, the pool table manufacturers, they're great furniture makers, but they don't know the first thing about how deep should a ball sit in the pocket. Right. Our, 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 our slow rails and fast cloth. I mean, there's a ratio between right. between uh, how fast the rails should rebound compared to the cloth speed.
0: Right. Here, I have a question for you. How do you feel okay. about. Uh, you know there was this big to do a little while back about the pocket size specifically the the width of the pocket opening so my question is do you make it the game uh harder or you know whatever you want to call it do you do you personally think that the pocket should be tighter or the table should be bigger or is it just a you just think it should be uh according to the response of the players or the response of the fans.
1: It, it takes a while, but that's what I've done for the last 26, 27 years. Right. I mean, the, the, look, I believe that the 10-foot will add another dimension to it, okay? hmm I mean, the long shot does, it, it shows up after a while. Right. I believe that the pocket spec that we have right now, it, the four and a half with a 141-degree angle, makes sense. It's, it's not too demanding. I mean, but but, but people are, that in their mind that, uh, that the four and a half, the opening is everything. Right. The opening is just a gate. It only matters on straight end. Right. Right. The angle is way more important. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the angle, the angle. Right. In other words, how fast the road closes, it's way more important because if you take a four and a half inch pocket and you open the front up and keep the back the same, in other words, that's changing the angle. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It becomes easy on straight ends, but you can't make a ball down the rail to save your soul.
0: Right. Because exactly. it kicks it back out. Right. Absolutely. In other
1: words, Brunswick. Their pocket was right for a four, four and seven eighths. They're five and eight pocket. They had a 145 degree angle, okay? Mm. It was right for that big pocket. Right. Right. But when you, what people did, they kept saying, well, I want to make the pocket tighter, okay? So what they did, they didn't change the angle, they just added facings. Are yeah. you following
0: me? Yep. Absolutely. But
1: look, whenever you change the opening, the angle has to be adjusted. Yes. Or it'll play phony. Right, right. In other words, when you cut it when you cut a go ground down to four and a half, you can't make a ball down the road, just boom.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The place' phony. Right. And something else that people don't realize that they think diamonds have you heard ever heard that a diamond has a, a deeper slate shelf?
0: Yeah, I have heard people say oh. that before.
1: Okay, but, but these people don't know what they are talking about. I
0: mean
1: they're moving <laughs> the What what they don't realize is that the forty percent I didn't create it out of space. You know, that was what Brunswick had a long time ago. Right, right. But but now they've got these tables out there, they're the Brunswick's, all right, and they've made the pocket smaller, all right? Mm-hmm. When you make your pocket smaller, guess what happens to the shelf? It goes away. Yep. Because it's on, it's on a radius, it's on a curve. Right. In other words, so your ball don't set us deep. Mm-hmm. In other words. Right. Right. So it it changes that. So but that I had my slates made such that if I got a four and a half inch pocket, I still want the forty percent that Bunbo used to have. Yeah. Forty percent is difficult but it's fair.
0: Right. Well it it's also proper to the proportion of the size of the ball. If you were shooting well, with it, a different size yeah, ball, I, mean, I it, think it, that would it, be a different. Yeah,
1: it, it, it all matters. It just so happens, it's mathematically, it works out really cool. I mean, two and a quarter inch ball, that's four and a half. Yes. I mean, and, and we didn't get there thinking, well, this is just double to make two balls, did not it? Yeah. That wasn't the way we, we started that. We made a pocket 50, took it to a tournament, and we made it smaller, took it to a tournament, we finally took it to a couple tournaments that was too small, and they said, back it off. Yeah. It took a lot of years and a lot of tournaments and testing to, to make to, to come up with the specs we got. You look, let's just say we established these specs on a ten foot. I, I believe it should be the same pocket size as the seven foot, as the eight foot, as a nine foot, as a ten foot. Just like the holes the same in golf. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We don't change the size of the hole, right? Because you because you tee off from a lot farther distance,
0: right? Right. Absolutely. Anyway,
1: if we establish these. If we go through a year or two and we say, hey, this needs to be tired. This uh, the players are the group of the of the audience. In other words, we've got to make it where you can still run balls and run racks. You know, you know, I don't want everybody running them.
2: Right. Yeah. I
1: just want I just want the good players. In other words, we can make these changes if we turn it into a sport and establish this specification. Right. right. I think that's the biggest thing that needs done. Now we've got no BCA setting specs. We've got we've got no governing
2: body. That's
0: a that's a big thing right now. It really is. It's a huge issue. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not out to 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 bash the BCA per se. I I don't have a problem with with the organization. I have a problem with what is or isn't being done. And like you said, the specifications being one of them. It, it, until they are. Until all things can be measured on the same scale, then it's hard to measure anything accurately at all.
1: The BCA specs are still 4 and 7 to 5 and one 8 Guess what that means? That means every tournament that we played on in the last 10 years has been out of BCA specs.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they
1: not even accepted. It's the BCA is a bunch of manufacturers that are trying to keep the status quo. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's yes, no sir.
1: good. The BCA should really close up and get the hell out of the way. They're You're, not doing anything right now to help.
0: It doesn't I mean, it, it, seem like it, no.
1: No, it, no, they're not. There's one thing they could do. They could set up and and, and allow promoters, uh, uh, protect the players to live. they hold the money. That's one thing that they could do. Yeah. Guarantee yeah. it's not a sanction event unless the money's put up. Yeah. I, mean, that's true i mean w we, we need a governing body and pool that cares us right now mm-hmm. to, for pool to
0: grow well, I think you're right. I think that uh, one of the first things that we should do is uh establish some standards and establish an authority on those standards, uh whether it be the table uh and equipment specs or the behavior specifications or even promoter specifications like you mentioned uh when we were talking before about uh, holding on to the uh, prize funds and things of that nature. But but um, we want to thank you, uh, Greg, for taking your time uh, to talk with us. Uh, we do appreciate it and um, wish you the best of luck for 2014. And uh, we will see you at the Derby City, sir. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with the Mark Kentrail right after this.
3: Hi, I'm Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida.
4: And I'm here with Scott. I'm Randy Gettlicker, PBIA Master
3: Instructor from Dallas, Texas. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. So, Scott, what's today's topic? Today's topic is uh, some of the myths of pool. One of the myths that we uh, really want to talk about right away is... uh, hit the ball and follow through. It's, oh, it's one yeah. of the common things in every pool book and pool video out there. So, Scott,
4: what's the matter with the term hit the ball and follow through? What's the matter with that?
3: Well, the real problem is that nobody addresses how far. Uh, we don't really hit the ball and follow through in any of the uh, ball and stick sports that we talk about, including baseball and tennis and golf and, and pool as well. In pool, what we teach is to finish your swing. Finish your swing and you will get follow through. But since the tip is in contact with the cue ball for only a thousandth of a second, or about a quarter of an eye blink, it really doesn't make any difference how far past the cue ball the tip travels. But we have a philosophy about where to finish your cue.
4: So we don't want to stop our cue stick at the cue ball. Nope. Uh, So our our whole goal is, once we strike the cue ball, um, there's nothing else we're going to do to the cue ball. There's no uh, uh, begging or praying or body English that's going to put that cue ball back on track. So why do we have to follow through then?
3: Well, in, in reality we don't, but the reason that we finish our swing is to have a natural conclusion to our setup and delivery process so that our tip goes to the same place. Every time on every standard operating process shot. So you're saying the follow through is more mental than physical. It is,
4: and, and um, so if if we follow through the same way all the time, then then we can expect the same accuracy and the same acceleration,
3: as opposed to hitting the ball and following through. Absolutely, and because we're hitting such a precise place on the cue ball, that becomes absolutely imperative. So what we're looking at is finish the
4: stroke, not follow through.
3: Correct. And I think that's a great tip uh, for today's One Minute pool Instructor.
5: Hi, welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Cantrell of the Legends and Champions Report. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, Usually it's just myself rambling on to giving my thoughts and opinions. And today we've got a couple of people with me who are going to give us some of their opinions. Maybe tell us a couple of stories and uh, make things a little different to what they usually are. First of all, I'm uh, joined by uh, Dave Bond, Mr. Blonde from the Easy Bullies Forums. Uh, you want to say hi, Dave? Hi, everybody. And uh, I'm joined by the legend, Keith uh, with the ether, the earthquake, Keith McCready. How are you doing, Keith? I'm doing fine. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, thanks, Bud. I appreciate you uh, spending the time and coming on here. I know you've probably got all kinds of other things you can be doing with your uh, afternoon, mm-hmm. but um, i just got a couple of uh, you know. I'm just going to start off with uh, something that's a little bit serious, a little bit current uh, affairs. Okay. Um, I, I guess uh, earlier in the broadcast, uh, Mr. Bond. Had had an interview with Greg Sullivan, Diamond, and who produces a Derby City Classic, etc. And they'd had a conversation about um, standardizing tables and uh, the professionalism in the game and, and those kind of things. And I, to start off with, I, I kind of agree. I mean, you look at football, they, every week those pro players play on the same size field. The goalposts are the same height, um, and the same with most sports. They have a standardized of uh, rules and staff equipment that they use. And the pool is, as we know, one tournament you could be playing on a Brunswick with tight pockets, the next on a diamond with big pockets. could even be played on a whole housing. So there's no real standardization to it. Um What's your thoughts, Keith, on, on something like that? What do you think well, about I mean,
6: uh, As far as Greg goes, I mean, if, if he was running so many tournaments, you know, he should, you know, he he's outside of the realm, the realm with, like, the U.S. Open. I think the U.S. Open should have the tight pockets, you know, and, uh, you know, just tough conditions where – the other tournaments aren't quite as uh uh meaningful as that uh, so you uh, uh would uh loosen up the pockets a little bit and
5: uh,
6: uh, and you would uh you know want to try to play you know the tournament matches on those
5: what be a difference so keith I, I understand what you're saying high uh-huh. so pockets cost the u s openers a very prestigious tournament.
6: Well, I I would I mean it, the fans, you know, the fans want us, you know, my the players, the better players than from the other players want to see the tighter pockets, the ones that make it tougher for the other players to play on. Myself, I would want I would want tough equipment if I was playing. I I would because I would feel I would have a better chance playing against those good players on tougher equipment. Right. Well, on the looser equipment, the balls are going to break a lot easier. I mean, I might run more wax, but you're, you're going to, you, you know, if you run into one budsaw, you know, like with those bigger pockets, a C player can beat an A player at any given time, right. and that's, you know, that's that's the only defect, as far as with those those bigger pockets.
0: You know, if I uh, could right. throw something in here, uh, one of the things that. Uh, Mr. Sullivan had suggested is that uh, perhaps the ten foot table should be the dividing line between the amateurs and the pros.
6: Well, the ten foot the ten foot tables, you know, that's an entirely different ball game. That hasn't been introduced ever since. You know, uh, they just started doing that. I mean, that's not that's not what the US Open's all about. Right. Uh, and this or that. I mean, that's that's a that would be like an exhibition type of deal, or something in my opinion. I mean, to, to play a tournament on a, on all five by tens, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot of your entry fees because there's a lot of people that have no chance on a five by ten. Mm-hmm. I think the key thing with tournaments and this and that is giving everybody sort of a fair chance to win, you know. And
2: well, uh, but that's... when it
6: comes to some, something like the U.S. Open. Something very prestigious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, uh, I, they should shim up in pockets, and let and, uh, the best players win from from that point. I don't think that, that because you when you loosen up the pockets in those prestigious events, I mean it's not uh, 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 it's, you don't see the quality like the quality you would see with the tight of pockets when people make those those great outs on those looser pockets. You know, you're not going to see as many great outs because the pockets are so big. But you know, a, a player from another player, when they get intimidated when they see a player doing something that they're not quite able to do, and that's part of the intimidating factor when you get up there and you, you know, you've got one good player playing another. I like to intimidate my opponent. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the game.
2: Sure. And uh.
6: uh, uh and they're trying to, uh, 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 but when you have a C player, like if you get a C player, and they beat you on a real tight shimmed-up table, you won't see it too often. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, you will not see it too often.
5: Yeah. But I guess I guess what you're saying is the shimmed-up pockets. It kind of separates the men from the boys.
6: Well, right, and plus, you know, here, see, years ago, when I was like, in, sort of in my prime, and this and that, uh, uh, they eliminated, they took that two-shot rollout and threw it right out the window. Well, my game went down the seven-ball when they did that because part of part of my uh, uh, my uh, arsenal. Was rolling out beating the guy to the shot. I, sometimes you, you you might roll out four times and don't even shoot at the ball. You shoot out to play safety, and then then let your guy make, come back and make a decision on you. Well, it's not like that anymore. They got this one foul ball and hand stuff, and it's just changed the whole game all around. what well,
5: what's your what's your uh, opinion then on tournament play versus gambling? Do, do you what's, what's your opinion? Post, do you play better? when gambling or that's when in a tournament i mean before i before
6: i uh... started getting adapted to pool tournaments it was harder for me to play in pool tournaments because i guess because it would you know sooner or later you it would it would come to an end and you'd be under some pressure you know in the tournaments where in gambling you always had you know you always knew that there was time to come back, you know. So it took a little time from, for me to adapt to pool tournaments where I would much rather play somebody like Ken uh, ahead for, uh, say, 3 or 4,000 than I would a tournament match. But I went to the tournaments to get action, you know, because a lot of times, there have been a lot of times that I messed up my tournament uh, 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 for deal because I'd stay, you know, played, played all night and gambled
5: and this and that. Well, like, you know, just to touch on something you just said, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to it in just a little while. But if there was a movie that said exactly what you just said. You might remember it from the 80s, and uh, I think it was something like the guy who loses the tournament might make more money than the guy who wins in the practice room.
6: They had those tournaments that paid five thousand. Well, I'd play a set for five thousand. I want more money. Uh, betting playing pool on as far as uh, the pool tournament goes uh, then uh, then the tournament paid and, and, and if you lose your first round and you're all that way and you're on the nut and this and that well, you have no choice but to gamble unless uh, you uh, are getting a, a free ride from a sponsor or this or that which um, you know um, back then it was hard to get sponsors to uh, pay for plane tickets and this and pay for that
5: and it was expensive you know? right well, let me uh... move on to just uh... for just a second to what what's your opinion of the, the state of the game now as far as the conduct of the players and the dress codes and things like that do you think something needs to be changed in, in those areas i mean oh, I-
6: as far, I mean, the the pool play, the players know how to dress if it's, you know, if it's the right uh, deal. I mean, their conduct, I think their conduct, is, uh, you know, uh, they should be a little bit more professional. I mean, as far as being a professional, the Europeans are very professional on what they do. I'm not saying that the USA people aren't those there's, there's, uh, there's you know, certain U.S. people that are professional in that manner, and, and there's some that are not. But you have Europeans that aren't uh, professional either when they play and this and that. I'm not going to get into names, but I mean, there's a certain aspect like that could should be cleaned up, and they should be a little bit more professional on what they do. You know, I believe that.
5: How do, you, how do you stop it, Keith? I mean, let's like, say I played a tournament and I played you. And I'm not happy about the way things are going. I've like, got short chapter. I smash my cue, I start cursing. Uh, you know, well, needless to say, people. when
6: I was, uh, they, 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 went back and when Don Mackey was running, they had like a police patrol, and they they were starting to find players. That got you know, I got fined a couple of times. Uh, uh, see, taking so, something from the players would be maybe a, a a way to do it, you know, to uh. uh to find them,
5: and then uh, 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 who's, gonna, who's gonna who's gonna police that? Though, no. that's that's why we go back to what I've been saying before: the organizational uh, the organizational thing. I, yeah, well, I mean, I, I how, many, how
6: many how many tables they're using for, like say the I'd say the evening matches and the daytime matches? If they're uh, uh,
5: uh, using uh, no, I mean I mean the fine, I mean giving somebody mm-hmm. fine. If I get a thousand dollar fine for this behavior, you know, well one I could get kicked out of that particular tournament, okay, that might be a, enough of a fine in itself. I might just get kicked out of the tournament. But if you don't and you win it, you know, how who finds you? Is there a government body who would find it? Who's yeah, with you?
6: I'm the, I'm the the people in in uh 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 with the pool tournament, you see but, but like if they go to the next tournament you know, they're not, they might not have their hands in that tournament. So, right. So that's, they're not going to care. But for the, uh, uh, for, for the next time that they have an event, if they have an outburst, they've got to pay 500 250 on the first one, and on the second one, 500 and the third one, $1,000, and, uh, 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 and, and if it goes to that far, and if it's like three strikes and you're out, you can't play no more. Right. I mean, it's just you know somewhere along somewhere along that
0: status. Well, here's uh, something uh, I wanted to point out too is um, you know, is the overall and I don't I don't mean to sound like uh, 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 what's the word uh, too conservative or prudent as the case may be, but. I think it's also important to consider the image of the game uh, when we talk about the behavior. And and what I mean by that is if nobody, as Mark suggested, is policing or enforcing this type of stuff, then what you end up with, like we have right now, for far too long, uh, players have not had to answer to anybody. And so what you end up with is when they do misbehave... And they go on to go to any events they want to. Um, Nobody will stop them. But you have somebody out there uh, representing, by default, all pros. You know, a a stranger who doesn't understand the ins and outs of all this will see, you know, so-and-so player, like Mark said, break their cue and throw it on the floor and cuss at somebody um, and then you get all of a sudden you've got people from the outside looking in, going, "Well, wow, you know, this is the kind of behavior that they tolerate. Well, you know, how professional is this, really?"
6: Well, Dave, the players, the players know who the troublemakers are.
0: Yeah, generally speaking.
6: And uh, uh, there's going to be certain players that you have to look out for, and you warn those players before they play. You know, so they know that <laughs> we're, you know, we're watching. You know, you're looking. And yeah. so they're gonna get a warning before they play and you don't wanna interrupt their thoughts of the game, but it's just something that has to be done and, and everybody should be warned. Right. You know? Right. It's, I mean I mean there's a difference in having fun and uh, uh carrying on in a fun way and people, you know. Right. But when it starts getting derogatory and mean,
5: that's where it has
6: to be stopped.
0: Right. Absolutely.
5: Here's <laughs> what I'm going to do guys. Um uh, I'm going to take a quick break. Stay on the line, Keith. I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. American Village Radio, this is the Legends and Champions Report. With myself, Mark Cantrell, Keith McCready, and Dave Bond. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Cantrell of Legends and Champions Report. I'm joined with Dave Bond and Keith McCready. Earlier we were just talking uh, before the break about standardizing the game, dress code, conduct of players, and uh, all those kind of fantastic things. But I'd like to, if we could, move on to something, just a little white tough, a little white-hearted. And... Uh, can can you give us kind of a brief explanation as to everybody knows you from uh the color of money. And what kind of how first of all how did you, you get that job? How did you end up from being a, a gambling money player and all of a sudden you you turn into uh working with Tom Cruise and Paul you Well back
6: in the uh uh in the eighties back in the eighties there uh there was a rumor that there was going to be a pool movie, and as we went on to tournaments and this and that, it was like two or three years in the making, and then they finally uh, said something about the movie. People were going to be at the U.S. Open over there in uh, Virginia Beach, and uh, they were going to, they were they were looking they were going to be looking for a couple pool players to play some certain characters in the movie. And the, and the, all the production people were over there. And uh, uh, I was uh, playing in a tournament match, and Tom Cruise was there, Martin Scorsese was there, the uh, casting lady was there, Gretchen Ronell. And uh, I was playing in a tournament match, and then I started gambling with Efren Rays. And I was playing them in uh, one pocket, and I beat them seven games in a row. He was spotting me nine to seven. I think we were betting like uh, anywhere from 300 a game to 500 a game. And I beat him seven in a row, and I was carrying on, having a good time, this and that. The movie people, you know, I was sort of cutting up with the movie people as I was playing, and everybody else was all, you know, doing their thing. So after I got done playing, they, uh, uh, uh... they called me into the office, they had me they had me reading lines in there for two two hours, two and a half hours.
2: Really?
6: Yeah. Wow. Characters, I was in there two and a half hours and then when I came out they started calling other people in. Everybody else was in there for three minutes. They were out the door. And I was in there two and a half hours. I was so they had their eyes on me right away. And uh They said Keith, we're going to be in touch with you. We'll call you. Do you have a number? The only number that I had for them because I was on the road traveling, I didn't really have no stable number. Uh, You know, because I was just you know going from place to place to place, place, traveling all over. And uh, so I gave them Jay Albert's number. So they called Jay Albert, and uh, 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 Jay Jay got a hold of me and told me that. uh, uh, uh that the, those movie people have been looking for you they uh they want you to come in and audition so i uh I called them and they sent me a ticket uh uh plane ticket uh and then uh, uh we uh when I got off the uh airplane it was really funny there was like about four hundred people in line you know trying to do these auditions and uh i walked up i, I got out of the limousine. I walked up and started waving to everybody, and they said, "Come on, kids! You, you know you, you got to go in." So all these people were all standing in line, 400 blue players, and <laughs> hey, I just walked right in. It was funnier than that. Yeah. Uh, they, I had a big old grin on my face, and I said, "What you guys all here waiting for?" And they said, "Well, we're waiting. Uh, we're auditioning." Oh, and I said, "Oh, okay. Well, i see you in there." <laughs> they saw me get out of the limo and everything, so. They knew something was up, you
5: know. That who, was, who did your know audition was?
6: Uh, Mark Scorsese and uh, Tom Cruise.
5: So, where was Paul Newman in all this? When did you first meet him?
6: I met him on the set. See, because um, I didn't. The, the, the only scenes I had with Paul Newman was uh, uh, uh just that one. You know, I, I wasn't in any of his scenes. I was. They had, you know, be pictures, pictures of me breaking the balls in his scene. But as far as me having uh, uh, lines uh, directed toward Paul Newman, it wasn't like that. Except, you know, like when when they shot the first scene, I was in that scene, but I I never said anything to Paul Newman. I was it was all directed toward Tom Cruise, you know.
5: Well,
6: I heard that uh you and Ponium
5: got along pretty good though. Yeah
6: yes we did. Uh we we had a good time. Um I I was helping him, uh, you know, along with Mike. Mike was helping him. Mike was technical advisor, so he had he had a first say and all that, but a lot of times during breaks, you know, I would take him over there and try to, you know, uh purify his stroke, uh uh a little bit, you know, just make it look a little bit better than what it was, and work with him, hit some balls with him, and he liked me, and and I liked him, and, uh, you know, Paul Newman didn't like too many people get close to him, you know, he was, you know, somebody, it was really, it was really, I mean, he was going to the bathroom on the set, and somebody tried to slide an autograph deal underneath his uh, bathroom stall, he got Mattered than heck, you know. trying to get somebody to, you know, they saw him going into the bathroom, and uh, they were trying to get him to sign a uh, autograph. But he signed all the all my autographs and everything, and I had pictures and this and that. But he got he, he After that, he would not sign one autograph to anybody else on the you know on the set or whatever. He got madder than hell.
0: Yeah, he doesn't really like to do the whole autograph thing very much.
6: No, he. I, you he's not, he's not, was into that. He did, he did it with me because, you know, I worked with him and I had all these different pictures of me and him and, uh, well, was, I got broke over there I that, and, uh, I'm, I needless to say I went to him and asked him to borrow some money and, uh, and he lent it to me and I uh went back to pay him back and he told me to just keep it and, uh, he said it's been a pleasure working with you with you. We really needed you on the set, and you uh, uh, we were a pleasure to work with, and uh, and then that was it. He didn't. He wouldn't take the money back. And, huh. uh, he,
5: was,
6: we, he was a real nice guy. He was,
5: was he a decent player? Cause he, was he an actual pool fan, a pool he, player? Oh, he
6: actually had a, a sort of a natural little stroke with him. You know, Tom, Tom Cruise was the one that was a little bit hard to get him to look like a pool player. You know, Newman had sort of a, a natural stroke, but Tom Cruise, uh, uh, you know, we had to work with him a little bit, you know. I was, you know, like Grady Grady Matthews was getting residuals, you know, for that little bit part that he had. And, you know, there was a couple of other people that were getting residuals. And, you know, I was saying to myself, well, what about my residuals? You know, if Brady Matthews is getting residuals, <laughs> I should be, I should have some type of residuals somewhere too. But I didn't really, you know, I thought that it was uh, sort of a uh, uh, a done deal. And then this gentleman calls me and, uh, uh, and says, "Are you Keith?" And, he, and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Keith McCready." And I said, "Yeah." And he says to me, he says, uh I don't know if you know this or not, but you've had residual money for a long time, and we've still got it, and uh, we would like to, uh, you know, try to make sure that you get it. And and so they had to follow up and check up and see that if I was the right person. So we had to, you know, uh, send them some pictures of this and that from, you know, when I was that age and then this age and... Uh, well, everything checked out, and then the guy, Jenny, you know, Googled the guy. My girl Googled him, and uh, everything checked out. And uh, he told me, he said, and I asked him how much, how much the money was, and he said fifty-one thousand. I said, what? <laughs> that,
0: that's a good <laughs> <I> said,
6: day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was tickled to death, you know, and you know, I couldn't believe it. And then, we worked on getting the money over here, and then the envelope came, and and uh, and, and I, I went, I you know, Jenny's got me being an honest John, so I paid the taxes right from that check. It was ninety-one hundred <laughs> that I had to pay, you know, because I didn't want the movie people, you know, uh, you know, just I didn't want to put up no flags or anything. So I've started paying taxes ever since that check.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably a so, good idea.
6: <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what I've been doing, and uh, so and we we get little residual checks, but the the checks you couldn't put them in the thimble now.
5: So, <laughs> yeah, funny. You, know? you did a, you did a good job in in that in that movie the part that you had. I I think uh, because <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that hard. It was
6: it was it was just the nervousness of of, of the cameras lowing was the hard part, and you know, and the timing of your speech and this and that, everything has to be just right, you know.
5: Right. Well, you know, I, I, you gotta hit the I, I remember, I watched the color of money when I was back in England, you know, when I, uh-huh. I lived in England, and I remember because I was a super player then, and I remember looking going, man, I fucking hate that guy. That guy's an asshole. <laughs> Well, yeah,
6: there was, there, was, there, there was a lot of people actually that did, you know. But there was a lot of them that didn't, you know. They thought it was cool, but, you know, some of them did. They, some of them didn't like me because of that scene, you know.
5: Well, you did all right off the movie, and it's, uh, obviously, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a piece of your life. It's a piece of poor history. The movie's a piece of poor history. Oh, yeah, well, that's one,
6: thing that, that's one thing that people can't take away from me, you know, is that. You know, they can try to take my dignity and whatever they want to, you know, with all the haters and this and that. You know, I still have, you know, fans out there that still care about me and this and that. But so, who's the cover it who's the cover? you know? I
5: guess uh, from there you uh moved on and you had another piece in a
6: movie. Yeah, just a bit <laughs> it, 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 it was it was just a, I uh, <laughs> I said three lines and I got burned up, you wouldn't you wouldn't even recognize me.
5: So here's the here's the thing, and this is what su- surprised me. And I, I, the only reason I'm bringing this up, Keith, about this other part that you had, is because I don't know how many people uh, knew might like. You said it was a very small piece. But if you'd have said Keith McCready was in another movie, you know what it was? I might have said, man, he had a big part in Pool Hall Junkies or something like that. I didn't get a, I didn't get any parts in, in that. You know. <laughs> But well, you didn't get a part in, t- in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. <laughs> Revenge of the Ninja 2. Revenge of the Ninja 2. That, to me, is... I, 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 if, you, if you said, Mark, I'm going to give you a million dollars, buddy. If you can guess what movie I was in for a bit,
0: That would have been the I last, last on the list, man. The last one no, I would he, have guessed.
5: You could have given me a million tries. Right. So... Well, did you do you have any questions for uh, Keith? I've been kind of running my mouth a little bit
0: here. No, you guys it sound like you're having too much fun. I didn't want to interrupt you anyway.
5: (laughs) What do you think the future of pool is going to be, Keith?
6: What do I think the future of pool is going to be? I hope it. You know, I still think I have something left in in my sales. But uh, as far as the future, I think, I mean, I think these players have. I mean, there's got to be some more money. They got to get a little bit more money behind it. You know, I mean, if somebody could come in and and just uh, grab the bull by the horns and uh, get with Greg and and just run a tour, you know, that would be. It would be good, and people with charisma and talent goes a long way. You know, in any business, you know, it's just not cool. It's just things, it's a lot of things that you do. You know, a little bit of spunk, charisma, not not no dead personality, not hiding behind something that you're, uh, you know,
5: you're going to hide behind. Absolutely. I can agree with you more. You only have to work it where you. you I mean, people, like,
6: people like people with charisma. They pay for that. I mean, I mean it's like the difference you, you, you go watch uh, uh, one of these up and coming. Uh, singers or whatever well i mean you, you might pay 2500 for them but you know how much are you going to pay for elvis presley well guess what it's a lot more they want to see elvis <laughs> right you know they don't want to see no 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 driftwood right people come to see They people like entertainment
5: right i absolutely agree with you very just hard to to get to that point, keeping that charisma, personality, and professionalism all at the same time.
6: That's that's the whole key. I think that's what it needs. And, and if everybody could do that, I think it would it, it would jump our uh, uh, market in, in the pool.
5: <clears throat> Thank you. Laugh,
6: smile, be happy. <laughs> nobody likes to miss balls, but do it like Ralph, do like Ralph Suckey does it. Smiles is when he misses sits down like a gentleman and uh... uh... uh, people could learn a lot just by watching the way he uh... uh... uh, uh, his mannerisms around the pool table and and Ralph is one of the very few that's you know that i could say that is you know him and Thorson Holman do the same thing you know Thorson Holman don't gamble, Ralph Chiquet don't gamble, Ralph smiles Thorson don't, Thorson don't smile that much he just into his game. But uh, Ralph Souquet smiles, if he misses, you know, if he gets down, sits down like a perfect gentleman, doesn't say nothing, doesn't say boo to nobody. That's the way it's supposed to be done.
1: Right.
6: And if everybody could uh, uh take that take that and uh, uh, watch him do that and follow that same thing, I think pool pool's market would go up. I I I uh,
5: absolutely agree with you, my friend. And uh, uh, again, thanks again, uh, Dave. Thanks for joining us. I'm sorry uh, you didn't get
0: much time to uh, (laughs) talk. No, don't worry about it.
5: uh, But, you know, we appreciate you being here. And uh, this is Mark Cantrell, the Legends of Champions Report, on American Billions Radio. We will see you next time.
7: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week. And we talk to the room owners of some of the best pool rooms in the U.S. Today, I've got the pleasure of talking to Michael and Karen Markoulis, the owners of Hard Times Billiards in Sacramento. How are you guys doing?
8: Fine. How are you doing, Marianne?
7: I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for joining me so we can talk a little bit about Hard Times and the history of the room. For all those that haven't had the pleasure of going in there, can you tell them a little bit about Hard Times Sacramento?
8: We've been in business since 1998, and, you know, it's all about promoting the sport of pool. And uh, you know we we have the best equipment available, and promote with a lot of tournaments.
7: Right on. Yeah, I know you guys have you guys have great events. I'm I've been lucky enough to attend and participate the Chuck Marculis Memorial. So yeah, you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about the history of how that tournament began.
8: Actually, it, the whole tournament jamboree thing started back uh, when we first opened up there which was kind of a, uh, a brainchild of my, my father, Chuck. Mm-hmm. And ever since his passing in uh, 2007, we thought, you know, what better way to keep his legacy alive than to uh, do a, a memorial tournament. You know, he really enjoyed all the pool players. He just loved the action, you mm-hmm. know, that, that kind of competition created. But, you know, the odd part of it was, is my dad was never really a pool player.
7: That's funny. It's <laughs>
8: unusual, really, you know, for, yeah. for someone to be so dedicated to the sport like that. Definitely. And so, you know, we're trying to keep the uh, the flame burning. And, um, you know, we play a little bit, so we're, you know, a little bit more in tune with, with the, the playing side of it. But uh, as far as the passion goes, uh, it's pretty hard to uh, to match my dad's passion <laughs> as far as that goes.
7: Mm, That's great. Now you guys, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Efren and Boosty for the first time up there. I I almost had a heart attack. (laughs) No
8: kidding. Well, you know, there again, my my dad rolled out the red carpet for people like that because he recognized, uh, you know, what these people were doing for the sport of pool. Mm -hmm. And I would just hope that in the future that there's more people that will come on board and. And work on promoting the sport a little bit versus worrying about, you know, putting money out for this or putting money out for that. Right. You know, because you you have to water the grass to make it grow.
7: Oh, definitely. And,
8: and you know, I think if more people would dedicate themselves to promoting the sport, that that this sport would really be catapulted into something great. I think we're headed that direction. I really think there's starting to be some momentum there with with talking to a lot of the professional pool players and the real pool enthusiasts that we do feel like things are starting to um, trend in the right direction and, you know, get a little momentum going. So I I just hope in the future that more people will get on board and, and do what we do to promote the sport. So the sport grows for everybody because it is yeah. life. It is a life sport, you know.
7: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, people. Yeah. People. People dedicate their whole lives to it, and the fact that you know, I mean, I know ninety-year-old people that still play on a regular basis. So.
8: Right. We actually have a hundred-year-old lady that comes in um, on Senior Day. Really? In and, and she just turned 100. And you know, wow. she plays pretty darn good. I'm That's great. Surprising. So, <laughs> you know, you can play when you're 5, you can play when you're 10, you can play when you're 50, and you can play when you're 100. Definitely, yeah. This is a real positive thing about pool.
7: That's great. So um, tell us about any tournaments or leagues that you guys hold.
8: Well, uh, we have tournaments
9: almost every day of the week. Uh, Mm -hmm. The only days we don't is Monday and Friday. Mm -hmm. So we have eight ball on Tuesday, uh, nine ball on Wednesday, Thursday's nine ball. And then Saturday we have eight ball. Sunday we have an open nine ball. That's our biggest event. Great caliber of players. And then we do a first of the month tournament, kind of like Bellflower does. Right, And uh, we do uh, one pocket on Saturday. Um, you know a lot of people come out to see them on the weekends. or big kind of uh, action weekends for for us up in Sacramento. And then we also do APA leagues on both Thursdays and Sundays.
7: That sounds great.: yeah.
8: and, and you know, I'd like to add to that that there's a lot of family participation in this when um especially in the more amateur tournaments, when, when we hold the amateur tournaments the families come out. So the person's cheerleaders are the moms and the dads and
7: the brothers yeah. and sisters
8: <laughs> really sitting in the bleachers and and to see a young person look up at his family that's that's cheering him on and to see that young person beating up on a, a better player <laughs> Uh, it's just amazing. I, it really is, and really creates a, a drive for the young person to want to get better.
7: Definitely, so yeah.
8: It's Words can't really say it, but it, it's just a great family sport, too. Yes. Um, everybody can participate. You don't have to play good. You can go and watch. It's just a really good sport, and, and we're really um, happy to be part of it.
7: Now you guys, you guys are doing a, a great job up there. So Thank keep it up.
8: We, we work hard at it.
7: Um so what other amenities do you guys offer, like food or or other games or anything?
8: Well, we we have uh, pretty much a full kitchen. You know, we we don't serve like you know, uh, like a dinner place or anything. But you know, the hamburgers and all that stuff, mm-hmm. the the fun foods. You know, when you're out, yeah. we have the darts, we have the foosball, the video games. So it's it's a really a family entertainment environment is is mm-hmm. what we try to create, and we always want to keep it where it's family oriented. You know, we don't we don't want to separate ourselves from that because some of our competitors have done that in the past, where you know they they, they serve full alcohol, and it you know you, you got to be 21 to go in there. You know. From our standpoint, that it needs to be a family-oriented thing. You know, mm-hmm. we like to include everybody in it.
7: Oh, great! Do you guys offer any other services like queue repair or anything
8: like oh, that? We we do offer cue repair. Um, we do have a small uh, pro shop section where we offer uh, you know custom cues and cases, tips, how-to books, all of that that fun stuff. We do offer cases, um, videos and stuff like that. So there's, there's a whole uh, number of things that we offer that, you know, are pretty much uh, fun for everybody.
7: Oh, great. Uh, how about well, lessons or anything like that?
8: We do have a uh, BCA certified instructor that, that does give lessons, you know, which has uh, really been going good too, by the way. Um, the young good. kids are really, you know, receptive to uh, lessons. And we're talking about maybe doing a clinic to where we'll have a whole group of people come in and for, you know, a much more reasonable price, right. give a whole group lesson. So that's that's in the works right now.
7: Oh, well, great. So this is kind of a, a double question for you guys. What is your favorite part of your room?
9: For me, it's probably the customers, the regulars that come in and uh, you get to know them because they're in there every day. Uh-huh. You know, you go through their medical issue. You know, they always come right. and check in, and you know, you know. We've had several customers; their wives have passed away, and. You know, it just, yeah, it becomes very, like, become family. A- and, uh, you know, we, they don't come in for a day or two. You know, you're calling their house, like, you're okay. <laughs> um, So, to me, that's the most, uh, my favorite part is the people.
8: Yeah, we become, like, the second home for some of these people. Yeah. So, it's really more than a business. It's, mm-hmm. more, it's more like a passion I would say that, that people need to be passionate when they do this. They need to love the sport because if you're going to do it just for the, the financial aspect of it, um, you know, there's probably other things to do to, to make money. So
2: yeah, um,
8: <laughs> definitely uh, it's a passion. And, yeah. you know, the people that are more, more passionate, you know, seem to kind of have their finger on the pulse a little better, I think.
7: hmm Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, if you, if you don't have a love for, for what you're doing and, and what you're, you know, trying to promote. I mean. Ex-
8: exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, you know, like uh, my wife Karen was saying, that we just, the customers are really one of the best features because you you meet people from all walks of life. And it really gives you a broad perspective on everybody and, you know, their enjoyment of, of the sport. So, you know, we, we just kind of, uh, you know, work on that. Great. Yeah.
7: Uh, if people want to come down and, and play a tournament or get involved with the league, who do they need to talk
8: to? They could uh, either call us up and, and ask for Brian, which is our tournament director, Mm-hmm. Or call up and, and uh, talk to a person. Any person that would answer the phone would have uh, information on the different tournaments and the scheduling and the times that they start, about the free play that you get before the tournament and, and mm-hmm. all the different aspects of it. So you could, you could just call us up and, and uh, talk to uh, whoever answers the phone or ask for our tournament director, Brian, or even go mm-hmm. to our website.
9: In our Facebook too, we've got uh, we keep that really updated, and that's Hard Times Billiards of Sacramento is is the uh, page.
7: All right, great. So um, why don't you tell everybody where you're located and give them the phone number so they can they can get out.
9: We're at five five three six Garfield Avenue, Sacramento, California, and we're just right off the eighty. At either Greenback or Madison, phone number is nine one six three three two eight seven nine three. Our website is www.hardtimesbilliards.com.
7: All right, great. Thank you so much, you guys. Um,
8: Absolutely welcome.
9: Yeah, it was nice talking to you, Marianne. It's great talking to you guys too, and and um, I, I look forward
7: to seeing you guys soon. I'm pretty sure we're going to come up for.
9: In February, huh? Yeah. I yeah. probably mentioned the dates. February 19th, we start our one pocket, and the 21st is uh, the beginning of the nine ball.
8: Yeah, and the, and the added money for the one pocket is 2000 and the uh, uh, nine ball is 5000 added. We're yeah. expecting a great turnout because there's a uh, tournament starts in Reno the following week. So um, yeah.
9: we're, we're real close to Reno, so it's like, and, and then even the U.S. one pocket, is in Reno, and so our one-pocket event right before going to Reno would be a great warm-up for all the players. So we're hoping that we're going to get some great ones.
7: Definitely, yeah. I uh, I look forward to to coming up. I don't, I'm I don't know if I'm going to play this year, but I always oh. love being a spectator. <laughs> I, I've been I've been over my head in that tournament. <laughs>
8: Well, you gotta work on it,
7: Marianne. You know? I am. You know, I I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there, slowly but surely. Yeah. So I'm I'm playing even with these guys now, and I'm starting to beat them. So I'm like, right on. I'm coming for you. <laughs> right on.
8: Well, we we hope to see you guys, and um, I'm sure we're going to have a good turnout. Yes, for sure. Everybody needs to go play pool. <laughs>
7: For sure, thank yeah. you, Michael. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just go
8: play pool, and everything will be fine. Definitely.
7: Uh, again, uh, if you haven't downloaded it yet, please go check out the Go Play Pool app. It's free on Android and iOS. Just look up the keyword Go Play Pool.
8: Yeah. <laughs> if there's anything at all that that you can think of in the you know future, give us a holler. Right on. That's we. We're trying to get this thing going like everybody else.
7: I hear you. And, yeah, I mean, if you guys haven't checked out the app, you know, check it out. And it's a really good way for, for rooms to, you know, promote the tournaments and all of the things. Right.
8: Like- We've sure been telling everybody about it that's been coming in. Thank and, you. You know, we're getting our tables redone right now, and everybody and their brother's coming in right now. yes.
7: So, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, guys. And, and
8: it, it is our absolute pleasure to uh, talk to you guys today. And um, just look forward to seeing everybody.
7: Awesome. So. All right. Well, again, um, I would like to thank Karen and Michael for joining me today. And for all of us at Go Play Pool, we want to wish you guys uh, happy 2014. And we hope it's a great year for everybody. And thanks for listening. That a girl. And join us again next time on American Billiard Radio for another Go Play Pool app featured Room of the Week.
10: Hello everybody, welcome to Run Out Radio Light on American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton, I'm joined this week by Darren Appleton, uh, winner of just about every title there is in the game of professional pool. How you doing Darren? I'm doing good Mike, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh you've got uh you just got back from a big event over in China can you tell our listeners a little bit about that
11: Yeah it's uh it's called the 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 uh, it's a uh, sponsored by Joy uh, which is a table manufacturer probably like I think maybe the second biggest in China uh they specialize in uh, Chinese eight ball tables which is uh basically like uh, a miniature snooker table tables are beautiful. You are looking at maybe like six, seven thousand dollars to buy one of their tables so they're like uh, they don't cut any corners with the tables. And uh Chinese eight ball's probably played by eighty percent of the population what play billiards in China. It's the most popular game even bigger than Snooker. And uh there's a lot of competitions over there but nothing huge. Uh, but uh Joy they uh they decided to run like an invitation tournament uh, last year for the first time, uh, they invited uh, eight foreign players, uh, mixed it between uh, guys, ladies, and snooker players, and then uh, the eight Chinese players. Uh, and we played in it for the first time last year. Obviously, it's a completely different game to the eight ball. We know, because uh, obviously the pockets are very, very, very tight, so something like 3.35, uh, and they uh, play with American pool balls and uh, snooker pocket cut, so like, uh, they're very rounded. Uh, so... If uh, it's basically a really tough game it's uh basically a mixture between snooker and eight ball and uh, the only nine ball really is the size of the balls and the balls are used so uh uh last year wasn't uh, it was pretty pretty tough to get used to the game but uh two British players got to the final last year and Chris Mellon and Gareth Potts and Gareth Potts won that uh, and then this year uh went there a little bit more prepared this year uh, no more uh, uh sort of new knew what to expect mark. Got invited again, uh, uh, 16 players, uh, a few different players from the Chinese players and the foreign players, and uh, uh, obviously I, f- I finished third. Uh, got got to the final on the winner's side, so I was a bit disappointed to uh, lose my two matches from there. Uh, but Gareth Potts, he won the tournament again, and obviously he plays uh, English 8-ball full-time. And he's also got a Chinese uh, table at home now in Stoke because he's sponsored by uh, Joy. Because when he won the competition last year, he, he he got like a sponsorship package, so he he flies over to China maybe three four times a year, doing doing challenge matches and stuff like that, and not so he's so he's playing the game like more or less full time. So he definitely had like a big advantage over us going into the tournament, and obviously he uh, proved to be right. See, so had to win it again, uh, but uh, I'm just glad he doesn't play nine
10: But <laughs> <laughs> well, that had to work out well for them when. Uh when the player that they sponsor wins the event the second year.
11: Yeah, and the guy that they just signed as well also got to the final, the Chinese player, uh, so he plays very strong, even though he's probably not in the top two or three Chinese players, but he's definitely, in a, I think he'd be like the third or fourth best Chinese player, so they have a strong team because uh, Steve Hendry's been uh, sponsored by them for about two years now. He, he like goes over there and uh, promotes the game. Uh, to try and make it more popular, and um, when he does a show over there, I believe about seven to 10,000 people are going there to watch him uh, play like challenge matches and exhibitions.
10: Well, a lot has been said on on American Billiard Radio about the state of the game and the future of the game. Do you agree that the future of the game right now is in Asia?
11: Uh, I probably have to say, yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at this Chinese eight-ball, I mean, it, it it is a great game. It's very t- it's very difficult. But I, I always go back t- uh, to eight-ball. Is that is it really a TV sport? Eight-ball. Watching eight-ball. I, I, in my opinion, it's not really a, a great spectator's uh, game to watch because every rack is the same thing. You break the balls. You got like the old option of the the table, and I, I find it. To watch personally a little bit boring, there's nothing exciting about eight ball, but I do, appreci- I do appreciate the, the skill in eight ball, especially, especially on the Chinese tables, the, the game is very difficult, so if it is going to be a form of eight ball, then I think it's got a chance of being so, so successful over there, because uh, obviously the, the uh, in Asia especially, in China, they seem to love their eight ball, I mean... Uh, a lot of people play it and they appreciate how uh, difficult the game is. So uh, maybe it might get the respect because of of how difficult the game is. But uh, going back to your question uh, with uh, American Pool as well, it seems that uh, probably 60-70% of the big tournaments now are played it in Asia or the Middle East. Uh, and obviously uh, it seems like the biggest sponsors are in Asia now and I uh, probably have to say there's more players in Asia than what it is in America and Europe. Really, I mean, uh, I remember the Euro Tour at one time having 256 players. Where now, uh, they're struggling to get one. Uh, like some some of the events on the Euro Tour on the, on the Euro tour now they're struggling to get 100 players. So, so uh, and uh, America, it seems like the numbers are dropping as well. I mean, uh, U.S. Open less numbers. I'm uh, thinking that the B.C.A. didn't didn't have as many players as what they have in the past. So. Uh maybe you're right, it looks like uh A is gonna be the spot uh, in the coming years. Uh uh I'm not saying it's a bad thing but uh, it's a little bit disappointing, uh like maybe four or five years ago. I, I think Paul was looking good in Europe especially and then uh and then uh people start to get greedy and uh, uh and then uh sponsors disappear and the organizers disappear, and then uh, the the players realize they can't make a living, and uh, they're all looking for jobs.
10: Well, even with that being said, uh, you've got a busy schedule outside of Asia. You've got a big challenge match coming up real soon, uh, Tar 38 against Dennis Orcoyo. Uh, I assume you're looking forward to that?
11: Yeah, I saw, uh... Yeah, I mean, last year I played Shane in a 10-ball match around the same time. I, I just sort of got back from China, so I wasn't really right for that game. Uh, we, we we actually put we both played bad in that uh, match last year, to be fair. And uh, and even though it should be a tough order anyway to beat Shane playing 10-ball with his break, but I, I had a lot of opportunities there, but just did perform. So uh, this year I get to play Dennis, so in uh, my opinion, no respect to Shane, but in uh, Dennis, in my opinion, is the best player in the world. Uh but luckily we're playing uh, eight ball, one pocket and ten ball, which I feel uh, comfortable with, because I feel though, in the one pocket, I sh- on, on paper, I'm probably slight favourite, and the eight ball, I feel on paper, I sh- I'm slight favourite, but Dennis is probably slight favourite in the ten ball. So, uh, obviously, I'm looking forward to the match, and I feel pretty good about the chances against him. Uh, and I-, I think it's uh, better that the time matches are just trying to mix the games up a little bit, uh, uh it seems like the general public in america especially like to watch the one pocket eight ball and ten ball so uh i think Justice is doing the right thing uh playing three different disciplines because then you get to see uh all the players skills uh and uh i think uh yeah i think i think it should be a really good match it'll probably go down to the last day hopefully and uh Hopefully, I can I I I can win a match on tar because uh, my last three matches on tar I've not done that that good. So I'm looking to uh make my mark this year on tar and uh, also looking to play a lot a lot more money games actually this year.
10: Are the tar matches? I mean, certainly the pressure is on because you've got a you know you you've got that one match there that you've you've got to win, but. I mean that's not really a whole lot different than playing in a tournament. Do you see more pressure during the TAR matches?
11: Not really, no, because the thing with the TAR matches, I mean, uh, they're all great to be involved in, but really it's it's basically like playing in uh, uh, a final because uh, you're both not really putting your own money down, so you're both sort of guaranteed to get paid. Uh, but obviously the winner will get more than the loser, so uh, I'd probably say there's less pressure, really, just because... Uh, but the pressure really comes from, like, that uh, you want to win the match because, obviously, a lot of people are watching, and then, obviously, if you win, you're probably, you'll probably you probably get to stay on and you'll play the following month. Uh, like Obviously, Shane plays a lot of time, matches because he wins a lot. And, uh, obviously, if you keep losing, then you're not going to get invited back. So, and uh, uh, with the... Uh, with with the action report, they actually put quite a lot of money in over the years, So I mean, they're like supporting Paul pretty good, and uh, Justin and Mark are doing a, a pretty good job with Ty, Especially Justin, I mean, he's putting a lot life into it really. And he moved he moved over there to Las Vegas. So uh, so yeah, obviously there's a bit of pressure. Obviously, um, uh, uh, obviously you you're playing you, you you're always one of the best players. So it's important to uh, perform and. Uh, uh, try and win the match, and obviously uh, a lot of it's down to pride, and obviously the the winner gets a lot more money than the loser.
10: Right. Now, there was a time you know, three or four years ago where you had a run of like two years there where you were winning everything. It just seemed like, you know, certain, certain strong players, yourself, Mika, Corey, you go through these phases where once you enter the tournament everyone is saying okay well who's going to who's going to take second here um, oh. well now you know while you're certainly a danger to take off any tournament you play in you've shown that you're a little bit human you know you don't oh. you don't necessarily win every event you play in how much of that is just a snowball effect based on confidence and you know I've won the last two or three tournaments so of course I'm going to win this one or is there actually something different going on in your, your fundamentals or your mental game, or, or which do you think it is?
11: Yeah, uh, well, I've always said from day one that nobody's going to really dominate pool like uh, a snooker player dominates that game, like uh, Ronnie, or Steve, and Andrew. I mean, uh, and obviously other sports where sports teams dominate, where uh, like, like tennis, I mean, it's... Uh, they're very highly skilled sports with very limited amount of luck. So these these sportsmen like Tiger uh Federer. I mean, uh, if they're at the best, you expect them to win because uh, they always play a, a a long race or blah blah. Where we pull, we play uh, a lot of different games throughout the year and we and we don't really have an off season with pool so we feel like uh maybe christmas we get a couple of weeks off and then after that we we're, we're at it again so you never really get time to really sit down and uh re re like schedule your life out really i mean it's uh you're basically a pool players, a professional pool player is, is basically uh pool 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 like takes over their life i mean if you didn't do, if you're going to do it like serious like myself and people like Ralph and Shane. I mean, uh, if you can do it like full time, you've got to really, uh, you've got to live and breathe pool, and that's what we, all those guys do. So uh, so like I say, it's virtually impossible to be dominant because we're playing all these different games all the time from like nine ball, ten ball, one pocket, uh, straight pool, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's that many great players worldwide now and the standard's getting better and better. You're always going to have your... Your periods where you're not quite on your game, whether it's mental or whether it's just like lack of practice or lack of motivation for a certain amount of time. I mean, uh, I always seem to play my best pool maybe uh, in the mid, uh, I'll probably say I usually play good from April to May, June, and then now I have a month where, a month or two where I feel as though I'm not really with it. I don't know why, it's just one of those things. Uh, maybe the uh, summer comes and I wanna play a bit of more golf and stuff like that and then like when it gets to October I think to play my best pull from October to December. Uh I've always done that and so I I'll probably say like six, seven months of the year I feel as though I'm I'm on mentally I'm at I'm at my peak and then like the other four or five months of the year uh it could it could it could be any month. I sort of like not hundred percent committed to playing uh, pull full-time and uh, maybe my results are a, l- a little bit patchy. And I, I think every, every, every player is more or less the same. I mean, even Dennis Shane. I mean, uh, uh, sh- uh, it's like Shane. He- Shane, to me, always seems to have a great start for the year. Uh, but then in the middle of the year, he'll like tail off a little bit and then he'll come good again when it comes around to the U.S. Open, blah, blah. I mean, if you look at the last two or three years, look at Ralph Suka. I mean, he, he uh, won a major tournament every, every year for like maybe 20 years and... The last couple of years, he, he hasn't won anything big. Uh, and if it wasn't for him winning the Euro Tour before the Moscone Cup, he'll have had a dry patch for like two two years without winning a tournament. I mean, uh, we we someone of his ability and, and how he plays the game, and he's so like, methodical, you wouldn't think it would be possible for someone like Ralph to have a, a bad patch like he did. So, And obviously Mika, since uh, he, he had a great two years in 08-09, where I think he won maybe eight or nine majors in that two year, which is pretty incredible this day and age. I mean, he disappeared for a couple of years. Uh, did, did it didn't like disappear? It's just like it's so hard to win on the tour. So, and now he's he's sort of come back. He started winning like the odd competition here and there. Uh, obviously, Shane had a good year last year, but uh, but he's still to win on the big stage. Uh, I mean, not not on the big stage, but to win like abroad, uh, which is still like a like a mystery really to me why he still hasn't won a competition outside of America, because obviously he's one of the best in the world now. And then you've got Dennis O'Colo, who's probably the most consistent, in my opinion, out of everybody He If he doesn't win, he always seems to be in the top five or the top eight. And uh, and even though I haven't probably won as much as what I did, let's say, 0-8-11, uh, uh, the last two years, at least what what i say to myself every year is to win at least one major every year and then uh, and then just try and be really solid like throughout the rest of the year and that's what i've managed to do like since since 2008 i've uh, managed to win a major title every year uh like last year I, I won the world games the year before i won i won the world nine ball so uh so, so that's the key really for me is to try and win at least one major tournament. What I would class as a major uh, every year, and then uh, and then try and be as consistent as I can throughout the rest of the year. And then, uh, but obviously last year I, I probably didn't quite as, do as good as the, the previous years. But I mean, I saw a pretty good year. Uh, I still finishing the top six on the money list, so uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't far away from uh, from having a great year. I'd probably say last year I, I had a good year, so so luckily for me, even though I, I feel as though I haven't uh, done as well uh, the last two years, I'm I'm still thereabouts, and that's all you can do really. And uh, obviously, you look you look to try and improve on that each year, and uh, and uh, just gotta keep grinding away. <laughs>
10: You've certainly played some of your best pool in a particular event in the, uh, December of the last couple of years. That would be Moscone Cup. Um, yeah. What do you attribute the, the European domination recently to?
11: Well, I think a bit of both. When I really look at the big picture, it's easy when you're there and you're like playing and you're seeing what's going on and what the Americans are doing wrong and what we are doing right. But the biggest contribution for European for the European Moscone Cup team in the last six years definitely uh, Johan Ruznik, the captain. He uh, he brings us together as a team, he gets us bonding, he puts us in a he puts us in a great frame of mind, he gets rid of all the egos for that one week. Uh, and he he we he he really gets his... uh he sets his goals and stuff like that. So we're really like when it comes to the Moscone Cup, I mean like the likes of Mika and Ralph, myself and Ralph and blah, blah, like, we become, like, best friends, like, for that week, you know what I mean, and uh, where, like, during the whole year, even though we're friends, we don't really mix that much during the year, but, uh, but we're very respectful of each other, uh, and uh, we never play each other for money, which I think a key thing as well. So when it comes to the Moscone, we 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 don't feel like we've got one. We have we have like something over the other guy. So uh, we go there as one unit and we work as a unit, and uh, win or lose, we we like straight. We're straight back on for the next point. We're not like dwelling on losing that point and letting it affect the next guy going out to play. So we're straight there, like in the dressing room after we've lost a point, to like make sure that uh, we're not showing disappointment but the guy was just about to go on and play where like uh, just thinking about the next point all the time. Uh, so uh so obviously we have, we have, we have a great team spirit in the camp and uh obviously I think we travel worldwide a lot more than the Americans and I think that's really pays off when when it comes to the pressure situations uh we're used to that arena, uh we're used to playing on television a lot more and I think we're more competitive uh worldwide uh, where the Americans uh I think two or three of the players in the team know disrespect, but I probably feel like they're a little bit past their best and they're not really willing to travel uh Some of the players don't even play in their own national championships which, which 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 I find amazing uh they're not really as professional as what they could be they're not really putting the out and soul into being a professional pool player and obviously and then when it comes to the Moscone Cup, it seems like a few of them have have uh a few of them like are more, more there like as a show and to get paid more than uh, really work as a team and uh, try and get behind each other. And because uh, like I, I mean, this year watched uh, the last Moscone Cup in Las Vegas. I, I I believe that the American team didn't turn up till Saturday night, and uh, the, the tournament started on Monday. And on the Sunday, there wasn't even in the practice rooms, like uh, practicing as a team. So. I mean, I just find it amazing that that they turn up with like 24 hours before the Moscone Cup starts, uh, where the European team had been there, let's say, five or six days before the Moscone Cup started practicing and, and uh, going out for dinner together and just bonding as a team, where the Americans just didn't seem to be a team. Uh, uh, they they seem to do a lot of talking off the table, but when it comes to the table, you you can see a few cracks in their team and uh, our goal was to uh, really was to exploit them gaps because you could see it from uh, vision and uh, so we we just uh, kept doing his own thing and you, you can see that the Americans uh, they really need to change the, the, uh, the uh, structure uh, of the of how they're going to approach the Moscone Cup for them to be uh, successful in the future.
10: I mean, it certainly showed itself this year, I mean Now, Johan has has indicated the last couple of years that it would be his last year. If, If, in fact, 2013 was his last year. Yeah. Do you really see there being that big a difference in upcoming Moscone Cups, if if maybe there were no captains?
11: Uh, No, in the short term. I I, I mean, uh, Yarn Yarn was going to retire after the last Moscone Cup, but uh, myself, mainly myself, I told him that I don't think this is the time to go out because uh, he's been so great for European Pool and the team. I told him, like, it would be better for him to go out next year because uh, this year, because uh, this year it's going to be in Blackpool in the north of England. And the venue is absolutely amazing. It, uh, it holds like 2,000 people, and, it, and it's guaranteed to be sold out. And I told him that I think he deserves to go out with, with his own crowd, and uh, I think sort sort of like it would be a nicer way for him to go out and in front of his own fans. So I, I think I think I think we've managed to talk him into to uh, having his last one this year in Blackpool. So I'm, uh, I think he's agreed that is gonna that this year is gonna be his last Moscone Cup. So I'm really happy about that. Uh, but going to your question, Johan's put, uh, he's basically put his stamp down. so whoever comes in for the European captains jobs, uh, I don't think it's going to make a, a a big problem because some of the players in the team' gonna be there playing as well from who played under Johan. so uh, yeah i don't I don't see it really affecting the European team uh, but it's more of effect for me that the Americans really really need to get their house together and I think they really need to start building for the future. I think uh, I think they need to look at the younger generation. Maybe bring in like a Mark Wilson who does a lot for the kids in America. Uh, I think he's a great guy. He's got the respect of the players. Uh, uh, somebody who, who who costs like if if they just keep picking the same team for the next five or six years, I just don't see how the Americans can win. Uh, so I think they need to rebuild rebuild a team uh, around Shane and Bone in Mick. Give Shane more responsibility because obviously he's the best player in America, and uh, make him feel like he's got to try and Im- he's got to try and improve his team and, he- and his teammates. Because uh, Shane's at an age now where he's where he's really mature. He's like 31 years old, so uh, he should be taking on that role as as the main man, uh, so that the players can look up to him and uh, look up to the coach, uh, work as a team, bring in the younger generation people like Oscar Dominguez. Lab and chauffeur and people like that, and uh, if they do that, then I think in three or four years' time they they can be really competitive again, and uh, they have a chance of winning. Uh, but in the short term, the next year or two, I find it really difficult to see the Americans winning. Uh, but they need to really build for the future, well, let's say like three, four years down the line, so that so that it becomes like uh, a fifty-fifty match again. Uh, where at the moment it seems like. Uh, it's probably 75% in the favour of Europe of the outcome every year. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, as a fan of Paul and the Moscone Cup itself, I mean, uh, if the Americans continue to get weaker, then obviously it's not going to be good for the game. It's not going to be good for the Moscone Cup, and uh, none of us want to see that happen. So, uh, obviously, as much as I want to win every year, obviously, you you want it to be close matches and... uh, you want to see the Americans uh, being a, a little bit more prepared.
10: Absolutely. I mean, as as a fan of of pool itself, I mean, I, I certainly want to see the American team win, but even yeah. if that doesn't happen, I want the event to be competitive so it has the best ratings possible and, and it's for the best for the game. Yeah. Well, Darren, I appreciate you giving us a little bit of time today. I know you're a busy man. Good luck against uh, Dennis here in a week or so.
11: Yeah, thank you yeah we uh got a busy schedule we've got the we've got then we've got the derby and then uh got the bonus ball playoffs <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's gonna be a bonus balls- uh, i don't i don't know if there's gonna be another bonus ball season but uh, we we got the playoffs uh, February the fifth to the fifteenth in las vegas Okay. Uh, uh but I don't know what's going to happen with bonus ball after that uh, but i'm I'm amazed that that there's gonna be some playoffs so uh, we'll go and finish that, and then uh, after after that, we've got the Reno stuff, the U.S. bar table. So, yeah, so I've got a, a busy two or three months coming up, but uh, it's always good at the start of the year to be busy, try and build up the bank balance.
10: <laughs> <laughs> Especially after a trip to China.
11: Yeah, and I just bought an house as well, so I, I need to start winning.
10: <laughs> oh, yeah, you got engaged recently too, didn't you?
11: Yeah, got engaged uh, in August, and then we get married August the 16th. So, uh, so it's going to be like a busy year. So, uh, looking forward to this year.
10: Well, congratulations on the uh, engagement. I wish you, you all the all the best, you and Angie. Thank you. All right, Darren. We will talk to you later.
11: Okay, mate. Take care. Thanks. Bye bye.
12: Hello and welcome to Pool on the Grind on American Billiard Radio. I'm your host Jerry T of NYCGrind.com, sitting in for Allison Fisher. Last week we discussed several positive things happening for pool and we brought an overall optimistic tone to the table. There's uh, more participation, more leagues, and really in the New York area, uh, Allison, myself, and several influential people in the industry all agree that pool in the tri-state area um, is in an upswing, definitely over the last five years. And after traveling around to like seven or eight states in a short period of time, um, very recently, I see that there's enough interest, there's enough love, there's enough, I mean, there's definitely enough talent. There's more talent now than ever before. Um, And basically there are enough people out there um, that love the game and are being underserved In a lot of different ways and that serves as fuel for me and us to um really do all we can uh in our unique contribution to the game the sport the industry um we care very deeply about the game and the players and you know this game has a rich history so there are a lot of traditions that make it up and you know we love them and that's 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 part of the beauty of the game um I'm optimistic that the market itself, the industry, will grow over the next five years and build up momentum and and prove to be a breakout industry. You know, the reality is um, there are a lot of other sports out there that have been able to generate corporate sponsorship uh, and and really big money. Um, And the value offering or the value of those deals are like, they're decreasing and there is more opportunity for those companies to reallocate some of that that sponsorship money to help grow a sport and to be able to create connections, uh, new associations um, around a very exciting, very social, very entertaining game, and be looked at as not only just one of many corporate sponsors that support a game, but one of the innovators to be, you know, that that'll help bring an industry forward. And um, you know, basically, NYCGrind.com. Let's talk about us. We we're looking to stay true to our mission and provide quality content around this sport. Um, you know, the content that we that we put bring to the table that we give to you guys out there. It comes from the heart, and we hope that it um, inspires, that it informs, and it entertains. And we hope that people enjoy it and share it through social media. And there's a lot of potential with technology. So, you know, we're an unconventional new media company. We're a billiard media company. We have an unconventional approach. And it's been, you know, fun and very challenging at times along the journey um, in this sport. And, you know, if, if I didn't love it, if Allison Fisher didn't love it, if the contributors and all the different people that have helped us along the way didn't love it, uh, we still wouldn't be here fighting. That's for sure. But um, it's awesome to be part of something. You know, helping grow the sport, and I believe that we're building enough speed to turn the corner to kind of uh, get off the highway and 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 build up enough courage to take the super speedway of mainstream sports and entertainment. It's really a, a revolutionary thought. Like we have to just think bigger and jump the curve. So you know, we are planning some really exciting changes to our website that will offer uh, an end-to-end experience that um, will help us better keep, you know, you know, pool players, people that really care, plugged in and up to speed and uh, have the ability to easily um, follow and be part of um, the sport as it grows. I can't really get too much into that right now, but We're planning some really exciting content. We're working with a great team. I'm also working uh, on a separate project um, that is in, in alignment with some of the content creation ideas that we have going. We're doing live streaming with Inside Pool, which is working out great. Uh, we just released a super news Spotlight video which is a whole new approach the coverage of the game which we just posted up on our site literally today Which you could see right on the top right side in a feature video And we also have an article about it which you could check out But what I was about to say is I'm working on a side project a very exciting project. It's a documentary and I've been really quiet about it um, And I, I still want to be quiet about it because uh, things are really coming together nicely and, you know, like any artist, you really don't want to show your work until, um, until you feel it's ready, ready to be seen. It's just to honor uh, the art form. So I'm working with a really amazing artist himself uh, and professional in the, you know, the, the TV and cable and the, you know, the, enter- the, the, the entertainment world. And uh, he's an Emmy Award winning um, producer and editor. And he's done a lot of really great things with HBO and Showtime And he's produced a, a commercial that has aired in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he, he's, he's really plugged into um, what I feel is the, the right way to capture a story. He's amazing at that. And he sees the potential in the characters in the game. He sees the potential in, um, you know, the heart uh, you know, in, in in each one of these people who love it, who who who, who sleep it, who, uh, you know, play in leagues every week, who travel around to these tournaments and um, lay it all on the line to follow their dreams and face ama- amazing adversities uh, on the grind um, as they, whether they're a professional or an up-and-coming player who's out there doing what they can do, like, there, there's a story there each one of us Has a story and we're working on a really great documentary that we believe that Everyone will be able to resonate with not just people inside the industry, but outside the industry and one of the keys Looking forward in 2014. This is all about positivity and where things are going and one of the keys in looking forward in 2014 is we really need to be the change we need to um, when we comment and share like let's share positive content let's share what's cool out there and if one of our friends are playing in a tournament and we see on facebook that they updated their status and they won their first round or whatever the case may be and you know and we we pull for that person or we just like that person and we we want to give a kudos to someone that's putting themselves out there to say hey you know i'm taking my saturday today and i'm playing in this event and i'm winning Right now, and uh, I, I'm playing my next match at this time. Um, you know, keep your fingers crossed. Like that's awesome. Like that that should be supported because most people in this life walk through life like they're like they're sheep. Like they're not passionate about what they do. They just do what they do to just to do it. And I think anyone who's passionate about anything, who's really excited about anything, they should be encouraged because that excitement and that positivity, that uh, you know, has a ripple effect. So let me not get too deep into that. I want to close. We're planning some really exciting things, exciting content. Um, it's awesome that w- what we're doing matters, that what pool players do matters. And uh, it's important that we, we thrive as an industry because we get each other. It's like like-minded people who like could understand each other. And if the industry goes away, we can't communicate around this game. Um, it feels like like we're, we're isolated. and there's no reason with technology for us to do that. Um, so in closing, you know, it's a game, and yes, it's a sport, but it's a game, right? It's a game. It's in bars, uh, it's in homes. You, you know, women could play it wearing heels. They could feel sexy playing it. You know, you don't need a field or a baseball glove or anything like that. You could play it when you're 12. You could play it when you're 80. It works your mind, your body, your soul. It's a game of heart. It it changes who you are as a person. And most of all, it's a game you could play with with your friends. You could play with your friends like offline, like. In the real world, and then you can keep those conversations going online. That's awesome, and then with photos and video and all this great stuff and sharing and likes, um, the potential is 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 exponentially increasing. And to end with, broadband speeds are getting faster, computing power is getting faster. Uh, more and more people have smartphones. I mean, the potential is great. More juniors, more women. The Derby City Classics coming up. I'm excited about it. Live streaming is big. Bigfoot 10 ball challenge at the Derby. Uh, I'm teaming up with Inside Pool for that. I'm teaming up with Inside Pool. We are teaming up with Inside Pool for Efren versus Earl coming up at Steinway for a live stream. You could you could watch that on insidepool.tv. we'll also embed a, you know, embed the stream on our site as well. Predator Tour Season Opener coming up. That's big. Super Billiards Expo, that's big. You could check the website for the dates and the info for all that. Um, So I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. We appreciate anyone who is investing their time and energy around the sport, all the fans that are making the time to watch. So thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Pulling the Grind. Stay tuned for next week's episode coming up here on American Billiard Radio.